Well, Harold loved to golf. Even well into his 80s, he enjoyed golfing. But the problem was this. As he reached the age of about 85, his eyesight was getting so bad that it was just becoming impossible to get out there on the golf course. And so he came home to his wife and said, Honey, I, I just don't think I can get out there and golf anymore. I just can't see where the ball goes. Well, Harold's wife loved him and knew that he loved golf and also didn't want him around the house so much. That she said, honey, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you take my brother Mike out with you? Now, I, I know Mike is 90 years old, but, but Mike has really, really good vision. So I think he'd be, he'd be a great asset to you. You'd probably enjoy the time together. So Harold thought this was a good idea. So the next day, Harold and Mike went out golfing. Harold stood up there on the first tee and took a big old swing and drove that ball and looked over to Mike and said, Mike, did you, did, did you see that swing? Did you see that hit? And Mike said, yes, absolutely. Saw a crystal clear, great shot. Harold, Harold looked back over and said, awesome, Mike, can you tell me where it is? And Mike said, I don't know, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not only important to see things clearly, it's important to remember things clearly too, right? Well, you know, we've been in this journey over the course of this last month, talking about our vision and remembering that we have a particular take on how it is that we see things through the lens of Lutheranism. Now, it's no surprise if you're in a Lutheran church that you might hear occasionally some things about Lutheranism, and that's all right. But really, what we're talking about in these Lutheran lenses, in this view from here, is how it is that we see ourselves and how it is we see other things as followers of Jesus, how we can be better disciples by using these gifts that have come down to us throughout the ages through the lens of Lutheranism. And we spent some time over this month. We've covered three different areas. And briefly, I just want to remind you of where we've been. We started off by talking about the lens of law and gospel. And what that lens does for us is it helps us to see Scripture more clearly. Law and gospel helps us to look at the words as they are printed on the page that come to life for us and see them as law and gospel, the law being God's demand on our lives, the things that are a reality of his perfection and our imperfection that should remind us that we can't do this ourselves. We are totally incapable of measuring up to God and to his expectations of us as given to us through the law. But then there's also the gospel. And God's word speaks to us in gospel, reminding us of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, the good news of his plan to rescue us, to redeem us, to bring us in to relationship with the Father through means by which we could not possibly do ourselves. That's law and gospel as we see the scriptures. That was the first lens. Then the next week we talked about the theology of the cross. And what does that help us to see? Well, the theology of the cross helps us literally to see God more clearly. You see, God has chosen to reveal himself to us in a very particular way, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything you need to know about God, we see in the person of Jesus. But here's the thing. The ultimate way that God chose to reveal himself to us through his son, Jesus, is through the cross. In that place, it says that God revealed his glory 
It's where Jesus asked to be glorified, was on the cross. And that doesn't make sense to us in our worldly way of understanding things because it doesn't look like it's any possibility that something glorious could be something so horrifying and terrible. But what it does for us is this. It reminds us that in that place of deep, deep suffering and pain, Jesus meets us right where we are in our suffering in this life. And that that suffering isn't meaningless. We see God revealed to us in his glory on the cross. That helps us to see him more clearly. And then last week, Pastor Angie talked to us about vocation, calling, the calling in our lives, something that helps us to see our daily work more clearly, that there's not this separation between holy things and unholy things, but in fact, the things that God calls us into in our lives, the ways in which we work and serve our neighbor, are every bit as holy. Their worship, their God's design for us and a way for us to love our neighbors as we continue to love God. Beautiful picture of what that is. So three key Lutheran lenses that are really lenses of discipleship help us to understand how it is that we see Scripture more clearly, see God more clearly, see our daily work more clearly, which brings us to our third, or excuse me, our fourth lens today which is the priesthood of all believers. And this is the one that helps us to see each other more clearly. Where do we get this idea of priesthood of all believers? Well, that, that term, priesthood, and it applying to all of us, comes to us from 1 Peter. If you'd like to turn with me this morning in your Bibles to Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2. You can find it in your own Bibles. You can find it in the Bible that you've got on your phone or on your iPad or whoever else is you want to turn there. But turn there with me, and then you can follow along with me as I read. From 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And if we jump down to verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, there it is. Two different places where the Apostle Peter describes us, speaking about us as being a royal priesthood. A priesthood. Now, when you hear the word priest, I bet you there's some images that come to mind for you. Some of you who may have been raised in the Roman Catholic tradition may have some very specific ideas of what that means when we talk about the word priest. You may think about the man who stood before the congregation in the big flowing robes or perhaps with a stole or a cross, and he said words in a particular way, and, and, and he spoke or sang or chanted the liturgy, particular holy words, and he did other particular holy things as he came and presided at the mass, at the altar. These are images that may be crystal clear in your mind when we talk about a priest. For others, the image might be a little bit less clear than that. 
But I bet when we talk about priest and priesthood, the first thing you don't tend to think about is yourself. You, as a priest, and as a part of a priesthood. Now that makes some sense, but I think it's helpful if we get a clearer understanding of how this scripture about being a royal priesthood actually applies to you and to me today. And let's start by giving maybe a really simple definition of what a priest is. A priest spiritually is someone who spiritually stands before God on behalf of others. That's in its simplest and shortest form. A priest is somebody who stands before God on behalf of others others. Now, this concept of priesthood and and being a priest within our Christian tradition goes all the way back to the Old Testament, right there at the very beginning, in the earliest days of the the formation of God's people, the people of Israel, 12 tribes, to be exact, that became known as God's people. One of those tribes, in particular, a tribe of Levi, those who were called the Levites, And their job specifically was to be priests. So one out of every 12, (laughs) approximately, was set aside to this very particular role. And their role as priests was this. Their job was to go to the temple, and in that place of of the temple, they were to present to God the sacrifices of God's people. So God's people would purchase or bring before them animals or grain offerings or oil offerings. These would be brought to the temple, placed in the hands of the priest, who would then bring these offerings to the altar, present them to God on behalf of the people. This is the way that God ordered things in his creation. Seems like a fairly simple task and a fairly simple role, and it does seem to make sense based on my simple definition, yes? Standing before God on behalf of the people, offering these sacrifices to God. But then along comes Jesus, and Jesus changes things. How? Because Jesus himself becomes the offering. Jesus himself in the words of Hebrews, is the high priest himself offering himself on behalf of us all once and for all. Finished, done, no further need for offerings to be brought and sacrifices to be made to God. The one sacrifice has been done through Jesus Christ. It's finished. When he said on the cross that it was finished, he means it. It's finished. So if we don't need these priests standing before God, presenting things to God on behalf of God, then what is this whole thing about being a priesthood? Why would that still be in place? And how are we supposed to understand it for ourselves? Well, let's fast forward quite a ways in time up to the time of Martin Luther. In the time of Martin Luther, the Roman Catholic Church continued, as it does today, to have priests. And while these priests weren't making blood sacrificial offerings of animals or anything else before God, they were still offering a sacrifice. They were representing Christ on the altar in the Mass. See, there's a difference in understanding between a Lutheran understanding and a Roman Catholic understanding of what happens 
in what we call Holy Communion. In the Mass, the priest stands between the people and God and takes the bread and the wine, says some words over them, and in those words, believing that it physically and actually changes from being bread and wine to being the physical body of Christ and blood of Christ, represents this sacrifice on the altar before God. Now, as you can see, that kind of is a weird blending of what it is that God intended through Jesus and what it is it wound up becoming. Now, Martin Luther, as he looked at this, said, boy, there's a problem here. Because what the church looked like at that point is the church is the place where the priest ministers to God for us so we don't become like the world. And there was this separation that still existed. And it was a hierarchy between God who is up here and distant and away from us and holy and not part of us or connected to us and then us lowly human beings who are down here in the world. The separation has terminology that goes around to it, the sacred and the secular. You may even still hear that language today, right? There are the things that are sacred and then the things that are secular at a lower status than these holy things. And the priests are these specially trained people who are there to protect the special holy things from us worldly people. And as Luther came along, perhaps one of the greatest things he brought in the course of this Reformation was this understanding that that is not what Jesus intended. And it's not the spirit of the gospel. Because in that true spirit of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the breakdown between that which is sacred and that which is secular is broken. It's shattered. The ground is made level at the foot of the cross. Jesus, who comes down to be amongst us, makes it clear that the bridge has been covered, or I should say the gap has been bridged between that which is sacred and that which is secular. Now there is no distinction between the two. This is my Father's world, all of it. It all belongs to him, and we are a part of it because of what Jesus has offered to us. But the problem is that we're still kind of stuck in this today. So even though Luther brought this idea of the priesthood of all believers, drawing straight from the scriptures, the fact that we are now all priests together, what does that mean and how is that supposed to play out? I mean, what does it really mean? And if that's the case, then Darren, why are you standing in front of us talking about this? Because what's the role of a guy like me then? Why am I here doing what I'm doing? Well, here's the thing. We still have work to do, plenty of work to do on this understanding of what the priesthood of all believers is. Because still today, the church is often seen as the place where the pastor ministers to us for God so we don't become like the world. And that's still missing the point. Because you see, the priesthood of all believers means that you are a priest. 
Now, that might sound kind of freaky. You're like, wait a second. I don't know how to do all of those things. Well, you do if you understand what it is that Scripture teaches us about the way that we are to be priests for one another. Because, you see, we don't need a priest to stand between us and God, but what we do need is priests of, to be priests to one another, to stand in the gap for each other, to be in those places and those positions of showing God's love and God's forgiveness and proclaiming God's word to each other, to one another. The Bible is filled with one another's. All sorts of places where we are called to love one another, pray for one another. As a matter of fact, a great place where this is illustrated is in James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. It's like one page back from what we just read in 1 Peter. Like flip one page in your Bible, at least it's one page in my Bible. I don't know how many swipes you're going to have to make on your phone. But if you go over to James chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, you hear these words. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Have you ever thought that you could confess your sins to one another and not only confess your sins, but then in the name of Jesus, pronounce forgiveness over the other person? See, this is at the heart of what it means to be a part of the priesthood of all believers, is that you, with someone you love, with someone you know, with another part of the body of Christ, when that person comes to you and says, you know what, my heart is heavy over this particular thing that happened in my life this week. I know it wasn't right. I know I shouldn't have done this, and now I am burdened, and I'm bringing it, and I'm sharing it with you. And rather than you saying, wow, I think what you really need to do is you need to go to church, and you need to meet with the pastor because he could do something about that. No. Instead, you hear that person's confession and you say to them, I have heard your confession and so has God. And in Jesus' name, you are forgiven. What power there is in those words. Those are words that you bring to each other. Now, when we say that everyone is a priest, does that mean that everyone is a pastor? No, that's not what that means. In the same way that everyone isn't a doctor or a fireman or a pilot. I would hope that when you go to the airport and you get on the airplane, you don't look around the place and go, well, you know what? I think I could fly this thing. I mean, I read a couple of pages about it. No, you see, that's about calling. And here's what I want to make clear to you. If you're wondering, well, why is it then that we have pastors? What do we need them for? I'm here for one reason, and I'm here because of one reason. I have been called by you. By you. Your call 
as a part of the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit called me amongst all of you as priests to be one who spends his time set apart studying God's word to come and present it to you. Not everybody should want to do this. The Bible also describes that. It says not all of you should want to be teachers. So it's not because I'm special. It's just because I've been called to this by you. I do the things I do on Sunday and come and, like Pastor Angie, preside at the table and bring communion to you all, not because we have some special mojo upon us. There's no magic in our hands or in our words. We simply speak the words of God, the words that you speak and have authorized us to speak on behalf of you when we are together. But we're not always together, are we? One of our core values here at Community of Grace is to be the church in the world. And that means through our vocational calling as well as through being the priesthood of all believers. They are related to one another, but they're not the same. One is your call to daily work, which is truly ministry unto the world and unto your neighbor. But the priesthood of all believers brings you into that place with your neighbor, with the person sitting next to you, to say, you know what? I can proclaim God's word to you. I can encourage you with God's word. I can hear your confession and offer forgiveness. I can pray for you in your times of need. Your priesthood is about bringing the full ministry of Jesus to one another as a witness to the entire world. In the world, there's something so powerful that happens when followers of Jesus occupy the holy space between one another with a bold humility. It's a beautiful, powerful thing because it's Christ among us, in you at work towards your neighbor. We talk about being the church in the world, and that is a value here. But I think part of the thing that we struggle with is, why are we not being more effective being the church in the world? And part of that is because we struggle to be the church in the church. The priesthood of all believers is perhaps one of the least applied teachings of the Reformation. We want to live into this boldly because it changes everything. Let me tell you a quick story. Back in 2008, I was an associate pastor at a congregation over in Brooklyn Park. And my senior pastor there was also one of my closest friends and a mentor to me. And in 2008, he let me know that he had received a new call to a new congregation all the way out in California, and they were going to be leaving. And I was devastated. It was so hard to hear him share these words with me. But he was my pastor, as well as my friend, and my shepherd, and my mentor. And he was the one who was the source of this pain that I was dealing with. So there was only so much I could talk to him about. So I reached out to my brother, just as my brother, 
No agenda, just to say, hey, Kevin, this is what's going on. My brother Kevin's 10 years older than I am. He's got his own faith journey that's different than mine, kind of winding and twisting and all those different places and ways in which God uses messy people. But we agreed to just get together for lunch. So we got together for lunch, and as I arrived at the restaurant, my brother was already there. And I went over to sit down across the table from him. And before he said another word, he reached his hand across the table, put it on mine, and just said, let's pray. And he prayed in that moment for God's peace, for God's love, for a reminder of God's goodness, and told me it was going to be okay. He was my priest that day. I'm the pastor. But he was my priest that day to pray for me. That's a picture of what it's like to be a part of the priesthood of all believers. When we can look to one another, pray for one another, confess to one another, absolve one another in Jesus' name, pray to heal one another, that's the church at its best for the sake of the world as a witness to the world. So why don't we take a shot at doing it? Like right now. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're alone, I want you to find somebody that you can team up with. And we're going to take just a couple of minutes to pray for one another and to be priests for one another bringing each other before the Lord. It can be a simple prayer of blessing that you share over one another, a few words. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, friends. Maybe it's a favorite scripture you have that you just want to speak to that person. Maybe somebody is really struggling with something and, and you feel close enough in that relationship that you can share that. That's great. If not, that's okay too. And if you're at a loss for what to say, hey, let me give you a scripture. A simple place from God's word. From Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. If that helps you and if that's enough to be able to say those words over the person who is next to you, that's great. And maybe that's all it is. But find that person or a couple of people we're going to take just the next couple of minutes. We're going to be the priesthood of all believers to one another. Let's go ahead and do it right now.
All right, I know that that wasn't nearly enough time. And for some of you, it was an eternity. I understand. I do. It's okay. All kinds of different personalities and, and different makeups. That's all right. That's all right. It's good for us to get outside of our comfort zone sometimes. But what a beautiful sight that was. It's the second time I've got to experience it this morning, watching the folks in the traditional service do the same thing and then watching you here be the priesthood of all believers to one another. Take it from this place. Don't let it just stop here. Of course, you're welcome to do it anytime you are here with one another. But how profound and what a witness it would be to the world if the next time you saw one another at a grocery store or in the park or at some place, after greeting one another, saying hello, checking in, you said, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about today? To be priests to one another in that way, what a message that would show to the world that they would see in the words of Jesus that you love one another, that that would be the fulfillment of Christ's command, to love one another, continue to walk in that love with each other. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've been able to share together. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one high priest, the one who is the mediator between us and the Father at all times, that in this place, Lord, we now step into that beautiful part of your creation that you call the church, your body, living stones built together into a holy house, and that together we offer spiritual sacrifices, Lord, a sacrifice of praise, and a sacrifice of prayer, bringing one another before you, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, for us all. Help us to be reminded, Lord, of this gift that we are to one another, the gift that you have given to each of us through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, congratulations. You've all been ordained. <laughs>